<laughs> with that, how about let's let's begin with a word of prayer. Um, and today, actually, today is the uh, uh, commemoration of I think it's the birthday of Martin Chemnitz, right? Yeah, y'all know who Martin Chemnitz is. Well, he came after Luther. Uh, he's known as the second Martin. Uh, here, I'll I'll just read a little bit. Read a bit about him. Aside from Martin Luther, Martin Chemnitz, 1522 to 1586, is regarded as the most important. Uh, is regarded as the most important um, theologian in the history of the Lutheran Church. Chemnitz combined a penetrating. Intellect, and an almost and an almost encyclopedic knowledge of Scripture and the Church Fathers with a genuine love for the Church. When various doctrinal uh, disagreements broke out after Luther's death in in fifteen forty six, Chemnitz determined to give himself fully to the restoration of unity in the Lutheran Church. He became the leading spirit and principal author of the 1570 the author of the 1577 formula of Concord which which settled the doctrinal Disputes on the basis of scripture and largely succeeded in restoring unity among Lutherans. Chemnitz also authored the four-volume um, The Examination of the Council of Trent, in which he rigorously subjected the teachings of this Roman Catholic Council to the judgment of scripture and the ancient church fathers. The examination became the definitive Lutheran answer to the Council of Trent, as well as as, as well as a thorough exposition of the faith of the Augsburg Confession. A theologian and a churchman, Chemnitz, was truly a, a gift of God to the church. So with that, our prayer is, is, is thanks for him. So let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through the teaching of of Martin Chemnitz, you prepare us for the coming of your son to lead home his bride, the church, that with all the company of the redeemed, we may finally enter into his eternal wedding feast. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, so Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, is this seeming more and more relevant these days? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about how about let's begin let's let's get started uh, by reading chapter two. Um, and it's only twenty verses, so if somebody wants to read all of it, go for it. If you want to read it all the way to ten and have someone pick up at eleven, do that. But let's let's get started. Who wants to start us off? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. 
I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. The Lord, then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed line. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and proves captive all the peoples. We will, will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who, plot, who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. So, someone else to take over. Verse nine. Let's pick up at verse nine. <clears throat> to him who sets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on inequity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as he waters, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your incircumcision uh, the cup of the Lord right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will be overwhelmed you as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no beneath at all in it. But the Lord is the holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. Okay. 
Thank you. Um, so uh, we see kind of a lot going on here with uh, Habakkuk responding to God and God responding back with all these woes and things to look forward to for the Babylonians and really more broadly anybody who is wicked in God's sight, right? So uh, on your sheet there, there is the look portion. So in verse 2, um, make it plain on tablets, so everyone was to know about the Lord's words concerning Babylon, that it would happen. Okay. Verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. The person who is righteous, Habakkuk says, will live by his faith in God's promised Savior. Although everything will point to a complete and lasting, and lasting victory for Babylon... The righteous person, by faith, believes God's promise that this force that this force of evil will be overcome. Paul uses this passage in Romans 1, 17. There Paul is talking about the righteousness that comes by faith versus righteousness by works. Human reason can conceive of only a complete victory by Satan or of people trying to dig their way out of God's punishment by living good lives. But the righteous, by faith, know of another way to, to peace with God, the righteousness Jesus has given them. I'd probably say the only way, right? The only way to peace with God. I mean technically, like Paul says, it is not the hearers of the law, but the doers that will be saved. So in theory, if you can keep the law, you will be saved. But in reality, you know, in a concrete reality, the only way to be saved is through Christ himself, because none of us are perfect. All have fallen short, right, of the glory of God. So I just want to make that even stronger than what they're saying here. So now we're at the discuss portion. So Habakkuk complained to the Lord. Yet once he had made his complaint, he did something that every Christian should do. And what was that? Wait. He waited. He waited. Listen. He listened. Uh, somebody else say something else? I, I thought I heard someone. I said wait. Yeah, wait. <clears throat> or an answer. I think, Karen, you said pray. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, what do you... This is kind of a funny thing. It's kind of implied here. What is Habakkuk literally doing? After talking and talking and talking, now what is he doing? Silent. He's being quiet. <laughs> he's... he's waiting for counsel. Yeah, he's closed his mouth, right? And, and, and he's waiting. Um, so he closed his mouth and then waited to see how the Lord would answer him. He was willing to submit to God's will. He listened to how he would defend the Lord to anyone else who might complain like he did, right? Because he says, um, and uh, look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Yeah, so he's waiting and seeing and praying. Like that is his prayer, I would say, right? That's his prayer to say, I will now wait for you, Lord, and to see what you will do and say. Yeah. Any, any questions or, or thoughts on that? Why is it that it says he did something that every Christian should do? I mean... Pray. Yeah, pray. 
and listen to God's word when it says things like, be still and know that I am God, right? Be still, wait for the Lord. Take courage, wait for the Lord, right? Psalm 27 and I think 46, respectively. Yeah. So I heard a lot of lamentations this morning about the election results and... Um, yeah, I'll be honest. It's it's it it is it is a little disappointing. But I, I'll be honest with you. I, maybe I'm just a I don't know. Maybe I'm just a product of my generation. I'm I'm just used to getting disappointed on some level, which is kind of sad. You might think I'm jaded, but um, I think millennials, because I am one, right? Millennials in general, and hopefully I break I break out of the stereotype of the millennial, which is you know can range from various things that are not very flattering or virtuous. But millennials in general are fairly jaded about things. You know, we, we, we grew up in the 90s, and the 90s seemed pretty good, except for that old Bill Clinton thing. Um, you know, and, and, and certain stuff was happening. And then 2011, and then 2001 happened with 9-11. And so then we're just, like, used to being kind of brought down and saying, like, well, things aren't going to be as good as what they used to be on some level. And so I've, early on, I'd say kind of early on, I've gotten used to, the more I got into my, you know, understanding my faith and, and, and understanding God's word, the more I just like look out at things that happen that everybody else, or at least a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people will say, you know, what is wrong with this world? What's happening? And I just look out and I go, I mean, why are you surprised? where we live in a sinful, fallen world and, and, and God, God gives people over to their sinful desires. And, and I mean, what do you expect to happen with, with all this stuff when, when, when Christianity is waning now, you know, when, when the church is getting weaker and weaker on a grand scale, you know, and that churches are shrinking population-wise, at least some of them, um, some are kind of, flourishing because I think on some level God is blessing the faithfulness of their confession, right? Um, but, uh, you know, churches are losing influence. People think, oh, well, who has faith anymore? And then now you, but God promises the remnant and, and he promises to never forsake his church, right? And so you have all these things that in the midst of all the trouble and, and turmoil that we as Christians have the ability to sit back and just say, yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly what I want. But Lord, I'm going to be still because your hand is still in this. And things are bad, and they've always been bad since the Garden of Eden, right? They've always been bad to some degree or another. And yet... You have always been with your people. You have always held true to your promises. Therefore, I can be still and I can trust in you. Yeah? Any thoughts, questions? Yeah, yeah. you haven't, you didn't live through the 40s and the 50s. That's true. Those were very, very, I mean, maybe it was because I was a child. Yeah. But those were very good years. You were oh, yeah. World War II. Everything was flourishing, jobs, strong church. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Know. 
And those are just memories that I will always absolutely carry with me. And and I feel sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, yeah, no. Because I, our son was born in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. so, and I see such a difference between our generations. Yeah. So. But, oh, yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah, no. you missed out. I know. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah, but we have joy in that he's got a strong face. Yes. <laughs> he will be up there celebrating. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And right. you, you are right. spreading that faith. I mean, for me, you said, what do you say to these people? Now, my answer is, haven't you read the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not good. I no. Well, oh, well, I mean... Uh, I think I, I think that's a good thing to say to people. It's like you should read your Bible, see what it says in there. Maybe pick up Habakkuk and see what that says. Yeah. You know, here I'll spell it for you: H A B A K K U K. Yeah, uh, this is how you find it. This is where it is. Go read that sometime. Page thirteen ninety two. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's in all parts of the Bible. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, today of Oh yeah. Yeah, and we're um, in the in our. Lectionary we have in our congregation at prayer, which is in the treasury here that we that I that I stick to and I think the I encourage all the men to do as well Today we're I mean right now we're in Jeremiah. So that's that's I mean we're in the prophets right now and that's some some heavy stuff <laughs> um, So yeah, uh, you know, I, I I've I it's that's another thing about being in the generational difference is that being a millennial, you hear about all these good times and you feel like you might have had some of them in the 90s, but then but but then you just say, you know, well, okay, now where where have they gone? Because those who live back in the 40s and the 50s see that, you know, that that was really good. And from there it's only gone down. And whereas I'm I'm just like, oh the 90s were the best, man. And now we're just like, no, because it's still like that in a lot of people's minds. And so it's just, it's just one of these things of maybe having this reality check that, that we're, we're in a fallen world and the good old days are, you know, good in our recollections. And we wonder how can we get back there? And, but we say, well, it's, if, if we're ever gonna, it's going to take some time. You know, it's going to take some time. Well, we'll see. I mean, people people never thought anything would get better again in what what we call the dark ages, right? Uh, where you know the church was besieged by the Muslim hordes and uh, uh, the Vikings and and the barbarians and all these things like that, and people thought, oh, it just can't get any worse than this, and it did get worse, and they thought, and they thought, well, it will never get better. What well, the Christians thought that it would, or they were continuously looking to heaven and, and the life to come. I mean, but it wound up getting better. Uh, but it's always been tinged with sin. You know, sin has always been a problem. Um, but if we want to get to a place where Christianity is prevalent again, or at least, you know, highly esteemed, it is just going to take some time. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take a, it, it's not going to take a day. It's going to take a generation or two or three. Yeah. And we'll all be gone. Yeah, well, so will I. 
That's the thing too. No, maybe not. Well, we'll see. My, I feel, I feel kind of, I feel kind of like John Adams in some ways, which uh, he's kind of noted as saying that uh, he had to study uh, war tactics and he had to study, um, he had to study government and all these things like that, so that his children could someday, so that his, so that someday his children could study like. Um, engineering and that his grandchildren could study art, you know, because things would be good from what he was doing as the grandfather kind of thing. Right. So um, it's for the future generations. We work and we toil and we say, I want to, I want to hand this off to my kids, which is kind of scary raising kids right now because um, who knows what's going to happen with a lot of stuff. But I can tell you one thing that will happen. The church will not fall. Right. The church will always stand until Christ comes back. And even then, it'll stand forever, right? So the church will never fall, right? Um, and that's a lesson to learn from all these people from other countries, too, like the Soviet Union and and uh, these highly oppressed uh, churches in different countries where they're, they're just holding on by faith alone, literally, hoping that they will just kind of keep on going and pass things down. I think I've told you that story Um in, uh, there was, well, I haven't heard anything from them recently, but we are in fellowship with a Lutheran church in Russia, in Siberia. Um, and they, they're only in Siberia because they were exiled there. Um, they used to be more on the Western side, like near like St. Petersburg and, and kind of on the, uh, Northern side of Russia or the North, Northwest part of Russia there because they were from German immigrants and they were Lutherans. And then during Stalin and all the Soviet control, they were exiled to Siberia and all their pastors were killed. All of the men were killed and all they had were the women and the children. Primarily some men made it, but any, any of the men who made a strong confession, they killed them. They executed them. Um, And, so, and they took all their books, they took their Bibles, they took their hymnals, and they burned them. They confiscated them and they destroyed them. And so you have people, I don't know if they're still around anymore, but you have these stories of these people that were, that lived during that time, like their father was, there's one woman in particular, I think, where her father was killed, her pastor was killed, and she and her mother went to Siberia and her mom had to teach her the faith from what she remembered. Right. And, uh, anytime that they gathered for like prayer, a prayer service or something like that, they would always ask the older people, how does this go? Teach us how this goes. Cause we, cause you remember and we don't, you know? So that's like the power of handing these that, of handing these things down to your children and your children's children and teaching them, you know, hymns and how to pray and the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed and all this stuff like that. I mean, God's Word is powerful. And He will... He will sustain His church. Yeah? So there's hope there. There's hope in the midst of whatever possible sadness may come. Yeah? Any other thoughts on this? I know we kind of stuck on this one question, but um, 
It's kind of a big one. Well, you just have to keep the faith. Mm-hmm. Keep our eyes on Jesus, right? Uh, like Hebrews 12, right? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Yeah. All right. How about let's go on to that next question of the five woes. Uh, the five woes in verses 6 through 19 are examples of how important it is to walk by faith and not by sight. It may appear that the unjust people are getting by with their sinful ways. In the end, however, they will be disgraced. Use the outline below to examine the five woes God speaks against the future world power Babylon. So, uh, verses 6 through 8, woe to him. What does 6 through 8 talk about with the woe? Well, I have. Mm -hmm. They steal to make themselves wealthy. They plunder many nations. They kill people and destroy lands and cities. Yeah, yeah. So woe to those who extort, who steal, right, for their own gain. Woe to those who plunder um, the other countries. And woe to those who kill the, those countries' people, right, and steal their land. Yeah. Anything else there? I mean, it's kind of, yeah. I kind of think of China. <laughs> okay. Russia, okay. You know, comparing them to the Babylonians. Mm hmm. You know, just how they can. They can just come on over and just destroy us all. I mean, what, they're already setting up a police force in New York or something like that to monitor their own citizens that are in the city or something? It's just like, how are they able to do this? How can how are we allowing them to exercise their laws within our, like, they're literally penetrating our sovereignty and saying that they can do what they want, that sort of stuff? Our it's enemies like, just aren't foreign, though. They're domestic, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have people amongst us, yeah. We've domestic enemies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have people who are... are um, as we said before, not not like-minded on what is good and right, right? Um, so yeah, but woe, woe to those who practice extortion, plunder other countries, and kill their people. I mean, it does say what in verse 8, uh, because you have plundered uh, many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you, right? For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them, Yeah. Any of the things on verses 6 through 8 we missed? So, woe to those who practice extortion, plunder other countries, and kill their people, very generally. Um, what about verses 9 through 11? Woe to him who does what? Deceitful. Who are deceitful? Yeah. For what purpose? For their own personal gain. Yeah. Woe to him who who gets uh, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, right? Uh, woe to him who builds his grand uh, cities and structures at the expense at, at the expense of the other people. Right? Uh, anything else there? What does it say about what he builds for himself. 
they take pride in their buildings and they think that their empire is unconquerable right and what happens with their own buildings though in, in verse verse 11 there yeah well they it's kind of interesting it's like the stone will cry out from the wall right and the beam from the woodwork will respond right so the stones that wood he uses will cry out against them like what he's building is a testament to his wickedness, yeah? That he thinks it's, it's something so grand and something he should be proud of. Look at how mighty I am that I've built these things at the expense. I am so, I'm so great, they are so weak, and I have built this great thing as a testimony to my greatness. And in the end, those things will, you know, uh, crumble. will crumble and fall on him in a sense, right? They'll, they'll destroy him. Yeah. Is that kind of like uh, the pagan, the man-made pagans? Uh, the idols? To the idols. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And that's his idol. Mm -hmm. He's worshiping it. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. it'll, it'll never survive because it's not God. Mm -hmm. It's worshiping other than God. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll see that in the last bit here in verse 19. What It, it kind of talks to that, but it's, I think it's foreshadowed here a little bit that his buildings and what, what the Babylonians build for their, own, for their own testimony of themselves and their greatness, it's, it is their idol. Yeah, it is. And so they put their trust in wood and stone. And what are we making idols of today? Oh, well, how long do you have? I mean, <laughs> how much time do you have? Yeah, well, you know, um, well, we'll get to the idol part. Uh, let's, because that's a good, good point. You're bringing up a really good point. Um, let's, let's stick with these next few uh, verses until we get to that point in verse 19. And then we'll flesh out more of what, what it is that the idols are and, and the problems or the the, the judgment that comes from God because of them, okay? Um, so, yeah, so the stones and wood that he uses to build up his grand uh, structures and uh, uh, cities will cry out against him, right? How about that third one? Uh, woe to him, verses 12 through 14, woe to him who does what? Builds a town with blood. Mm-hmm, yeah. What does that mean? Um... I mean, again, who builds, who builds his own city at the at the expense of the lives of others? Slaves. Yeah, probably slaves. Um, Forced labor. Yeah, I mean, even even the money that they plundered from the people they killed in the places that they just conquered, right? Blood money, in a sense, right? Yeah, what I put down was worships material gain and inequity mm -hmm. at all costs. Yeah. I mean, especially at the cost of others. Yeah. And what does God think about bloodshed for that kind of gain? I mean, when it comes to personal gain so that you can pad your own nest, I mean, for anything other, you know, there is such a thing as just war. We, we as Christians believe that. There is such a thing as a just war. But the Babylonians are not just. They are doing it for their own gain, and God is using them against their knowledge he is using them to do what is right for his people in the long run, the chastisement that comes, right? 
So, uh, yeah, woe to those who build, uh, who builds his own city at the expense of the lives of others. Uh, God will bring his labor to absolutely, absolutely, absolutely nothing. Right? He says, um, is that verse? 12 through 14. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for, 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 excuse me, for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah. Um, any other questions on that? It, it's, it's very similar to that, to verses 9 through 11, but more specifically, at, at the expense of other people's lives. Okay? And then, woe to him, verses 15 through 18. Woe to him who does what? Takes advantage of others. Huh? Takes advantage of others, and then Karen, you said... Get your neighbors drunk and take advantage. That's right, yeah. Uh... I mean, what does it say there? It says, uh, verses 15 through 18, um, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness, right? Exploiting them for your gain. Um, <laughs> I mean, what did you think about that? Verse 16, You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Right? Drink yourself and show the shame that you have of not really being God's people. Right? That was that was the sign of the covenant, right? So uh, so the the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And 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 the utter shame will come upon your glory. Right? I don't understand and, that. Huh? I don't understand that. Um, so which, which part do you not understand the, uh, uh-huh. which part? Uh-huh. <laughs> the whole verse, I don't, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay. About your own nakedness and the cup of the Lord's right hand uh-huh. is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. What does that mean? So what he's promising is that whatever glory they think they've won for themselves, God's judgment will eventually come to them, right? Their hope is only in this life, but in eternity, God will have the say. Well, um, Nebuchadnezzar also destroyed Lebanon. What's that? Nebuchadnezzar also destroyed Lebanon, which is, was the major city in Babylonia. Yeah. Down with all the cedars and everything else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and use them for his own gain for that, too. Here in my note says, the Lord will do to Babylon what she has done to others. Right. Yeah. So, so that's about the cup, I think. If you want to know about the right hand of God, though, yeah. Uh, this is a little note from my study Bible, um, and it's a, it puts it better than I can, which would probably be more long-winded than not. Uh, in... The Israelite thought the right hand was the favored one. As such, it symbolized the place of privilege or strength. 
so the chief court official was seated at the king's right hand as a symbol of his power and authority. The term can describe God's chosen servant, like King David, right? So where does where does Christ now sit? At the right hand. At the right hand, right? He's seated at the at the point of at, at the point of power, right? That he works all things for us who trust in him, right? So in that sense, the Lord's the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. And there are other instances where the cup that it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that there's there are these instances where there's something called like the cup of wrath, right? That you will drink the cup of wrath down to its dregs, right? And that also comes down to Jesus when he prays in the garden. Lord, let this cup pass from me, if it is your will. Because he drinks the cup of wrath down to its dregs, right? When he's on the cross. So there's this understanding of the cup coming around, back around to you, and you got to drink it, right? And it's the cup of judgment. And so there's more to that that we could go into. Maybe we could do a whole study on the cup of the Lord. But, yeah, so the right hand... Um, uh, so the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. And Because when you drink a whole, I mean, the cups were big, and when you drank that whole cup, it was meant to be shared, right? And But if, if the cup comes around to you, and the Lord says, you drink all of it down to the bottom, you're going to get sick, and you're going to get drunk, right? And the Lord is going to make an example of you, in that sense, like Babylon, right? The cup is going to come around, and you will not be able to say no. That's what he's telling Babylon. You will not be able to stop the wrath that is coming upon you. Um, Isaiah 51, 17 follows, has a good explanation of that, too. Yeah. You have to drink the dregs. That's right. At the bottom of the cup. That's right. Yeah. That, that's Isaiah 51, you said? 17, yeah. And follows. Let me make a note of that. Yeah, um, and that does foreshadow what Christ endured on the cross, drinking the, the cup of wrath, for sure. I remember being at the seminary, and we were going through the book of Matthew, and one of our professors was like, yeah, there's a whole book on the theology of the cup of wrath. And like I looked, and I went to the library, and I looked at it, and it's like this thick, you know, and it's full of all this stuff about the cup of wrath. And I was like, wow, I had no idea that there was so much there. Like I kept flipping through pages, like, oh my goodness, oh wow, oh wow, there's all this stuff about the cup. Uh, mainly looking at Isaiah 51, I remember that. Um, so yeah, so it's not quite karma, but it's kind of like that. What goes around comes around sort of thing. It's funny because karma is, is what the Hindu way of understanding consequences for sin uh, but we we understand it differently right that um, God's law requires payment right. it requires judgment and the Babylonians they do not see God as the one they do not see Yahweh the one true God as the one who is actually being their power they think it's their own might and strength and so God is going to judge them 
He's going to judge them. And he's going to bring shame upon them. I mean, what did he do to uh, Nebuchadnezzar at one point in time? He made him so crazy that he walked around on all fours, mooing like an ox, and he would eat grass, and he did that to humble him, you know, kind of thing. Y'all remember that from Daniel? No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just pretty, pretty interesting. Maybe we'll do a study on Daniel. I'll add it to the list. Uh, by the time I'm, by the time, you know, I've been, been here for a while, we've gone through all the books. Um, That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Daniel, what is it? 67 of them. What's that? Yeah. Um, where is it? 70 weeks in Daniel. Anyways, so, um, oh yeah, uh, Daniel 4, uh, verses 28 through 33, you know, all, uh, all, all this came up, so basically, um, Daniel interprets a dream, and, uh, it says, at the end of the, of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is not this great? Uh, is is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my of, of my of my 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 Majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king, O king Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. <laughs> so he was humbled, right? Anyway, so that's like that's, that's me showing you a little bit of how that justice is carried out. He shames those who think too highly of themselves, honestly. Um, and it comes in time, right? Um, so... Uh, yes, we've gotten through all these verses eight, uh, all the, all the way through verse 18. Do we have any questions about that, about these woes so far? Because now we're getting into the idle discussion. Okay. Um, so verse 19, woe to him who does what? Yeah. Uh, who says to a wooden thing, um, who says to a wooden thing, come awake, to a silent stone, uh, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Right? So, idols catch the eye. Right? But what are they, but what are they in the end? Nothing. They're just wood. They're stone. Wood or stone. Yeah, they're 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 man-made, and and that's, and you say, what kind of idols do we have in our lives today? I mean, 
again, how long do you have to talk about this? Because you can talk about a lot of different things um, that is an idol for us today. And um, anything that takes you away from the Lord, from the Word, is yes. an idol. You watch TV too much okay. instead of reading your Bible. Uh -huh. You spend too much time on this thing this right here. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, yeah. Paul's like, leave me alone. I know I'm on my phone, but it's the Bible. I got the Bible open. Give me a break. Yeah. The um, Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, what is so? What else do y'all know about? So, yes, idols are anything that take you away from God and trusting in Him, right? What kind of idols, you mentioned TV, your phone, uh, what other things can, can keep you away from, from fully trusting and fearing, uh, as the catechism would put it, fearing, loving, and trusting in, in God above all things? Social Security and Medicare. Social Security and Medicare. Anybody agree with that or disagree with that? It's taking you away from God, Social Security, and Medicare. It's interesting you say that because you you probably brought this up for a reason, right? Because the Missouri Synod for a long time did not believe that it was right to take out health insurance or life insurance. Uh, they didn't necessarily say, I mean, they didn't make it a, a dogmatic point saying like, you're not a Christian if you have life insurance. But they'll say, well, they encourage their people not to do that because they said, well, that means that you don't trust in your fellow Christians to take care of you if something goes wrong. And you're putting your faith in the government. Or the insurance company. Yeah. It's one of these things of like, you know, you, you say that and people say, well, that's just crazy. Because we're in a completely different mindset now about health insurance, life insurance. Like everybody has this. But when you think about what the Lutheran Church, uh, at least the LCMS, was saying about it, saying, you know, they would discourage their people from getting health insurance, or I don't know if necessarily health insurance was really that big of a deal, but life insurance was, was certainly something to be considered. They would say, what are, you, what are you concerned about? You know, will you not be taken care of by either your family or the church? Well, they were. Yeah. That's the thing, though. To this day, it's not right. Happening. And I, I wonder. I wonder if that's because we've and and you know I'm, I'm kind of agnostic about the whole like I have health insurance. The church pays for my health insurance, right? Um, and I have life insurance, right? But I wonder, I wonder what kind of, I wonder what kind of testimony that would mean to other people outside of the church to say, no, we don't worry about that stuff. You worry about it. We don't worry about it. Well, but in Fredericksburg, the vast majority of people have no insurance, either on their own or health insurance. Oh, really? Yeah. How do you know? We, we just go to the hospital and look at the records. Oh, okay. The people, people go to the emergency room? And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, nowadays with health insurance the way it is, it's like, I don't know. Things are just... Things are just, it's, it's all so much to really dive into one particular problem, but you can see if you really, really plumb the depths of it, you can see that even, yeah, health insurance, life insurance uh, can be something that you derive all of your faith and trust from, or you have full trust in a policy. 
you know, something like that. Yeah, but I don't sit around thinking about my life insurance all day long. No, you don't. And not everybody does. But the thing is, is that... Health insurance, I mean, it's just... Right. But let me just ask you, let me ask you this. Uh, if, if, God forbid, if, if Paul died, or if someone had a spouse die, and they had a life insurance policy, I would imagine that they would be very tempted, if not giving into that temptation, to say, oh, thank not God, but thank that life insurance policy, because if I wouldn't have had that, then everything would have been much, much harder. Not saying that anybody's going to give into that temptation, but that temptation is there, right? Satan can use that on some level to say, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's a good thing that I had the foresight, that I had the foresight to get that policy, right? Um, as, as, a, as opposed to saying, Thank God for allowing him to have that for me in that time of need, right? I mean, that's not to say, again, that health insurance or life insurance is a sin. That's not to say that having these things means you're not a Christian. But that is to say that when you add these things to your life as things that you can put your trust in, it becomes very tempting for our flesh to put our trust in those things instead of God himself, right? Or to say... Thank God for allowing this to happen so I could not be hit even harder than what I am. Thank God for his mercy in making it so that we could make all those payments on that plan, right? Or something along those lines. Well, how um, come it used to be AAL and now it's mm -hmm. thriving? Yeah. That was a Lutheran organization. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and thriving, uh, yeah, the Lutheran, uh, Lutheran Brotherhood, right? Um, and... That's, I think that organization was part of that kind of de-emphasizing de, de what problems might come from those things. It was them kind of not emphasizing the problems that could arise from it uh, and saying, well, these things aren't, aren't as bad as we, we once thought, you know, um, and that's okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that Thrivent is necessarily a bad organization although they're not really lutheran anymore um and one one gripe i do have against thrivent is that you know they do this matching thing right where if you give to a certain charity they'll match that that gift or that donation um what happened was uh they got into some hot water because uh, they, it was either that they were giving because, because they were affiliated with the ELCA or whatever at some, at, you know, broadly that some wanted to give to a certain organization, not just like, but akin to Planned Parenthood and, um, Thrivent matched it. And then when they had people outcrying against that, they said, okay, well, we're not going to give to any organization that touches on this topic. So we're not just not going to give to Planned Parenthood. We're also not going to give to pro-life organizations either. So that to me was just like, well, that's, mm, that defeats the purpose, right? I mean, that just, that's basically saying that they're all equal. 
So you get you get into these problems with these auxiliary groups where they start coming up with these ideas about how to run stuff, and and um, their bottom line was getting hurt, so they cut out the giving to the organizations that would do things according to what God would have us do. But so they really didn't. What's that? They really didn't. They really didn't what? Quit giving to those organizations. To what organizations? The. Uh, the pro-life ones? No. The, the pro-choice pro ones? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard some things. Now, I don't know, but but I don't know. But I I just heard enough about Thrive It. I'm just like, mm, okay. And now they're just like, it's no longer just for Lutherans. I was like, no. okay. So, so if you get down to the basics yeah. of insurance, why you have it to prepare for something happening in the future, then why would Joseph store all the wheat up that he stored up when the harvest didn't, why do why did Abraham have all the animals that he had so he could eat? Mm-hmm. God gives us a an ability mm-hmm. to provide for ourselves. Right. So, what's the difference with buying a health insurance policy, planning on the future that I might not be able to afford one hundred and seventy-two thousand dollars to replace the uh, mouth of my wife's mm-hmm. throat? So what you I'm know, saying. So, well, yeah, no. So what I'm saying is also, don't forget the man who stored up uh, riches into his barn. And that very night, the Lord said, you fool, I require your life tonight. So who are you storing it up for? Yeah. Right? See, that's the whole key. Is, is yeah, where do you put your faith and trust? Faith and right. Trust. Not that's necessarily. The thing. That's, I never said that having a... Yeah. yeah, I never said that having a health insurance policy or a life insurance policy was going to mean you're not a Christian. What I am saying is that there are people out there... Well, it on some level, can y'all at least see how that might diminish the way a church might rally around someone who's oh, in sure. need? Well, it, yeah. it, that it, was the main emphasis. Well, that's the problem now is with, with the populace or the, all the people. They expect that the government's supposed to provide... Right, the government. They're supposed to pay for their education. Yeah. They're supposed to do all of this instead of the community or the church. Or right. Like but before it got to the government, though, before it got to the government, it was, at least from my estimation, it wasn't so much, well, the government's going to take care of me. It was, well, if you want to take care of yourself, then you go out and you get this policy. You take care of yourself because you got to look out for yourself on these things, as opposed to simply saying, you know, we might look back and say, well, they were a bit naive in thinking that, that, you know, the church would help them through whatever, but it's like, well, were they though? I mean, on some level, if, if you can say, look, everything's going well, but I'm, I'm actually a little short this month on my rent, and, I, and, if, and if I don't have it, I'm going to get evicted and be homeless, and you tell people who are your Christian brothers and sisters, you say, I need help. And they say, well, let's see what we can do to help you out so you can make it to next month. Not that this is a perpetual thing. We're always going to float you. But when you need help, we're going to help you. But I think that we've gotten in such a culture where we're so, we're not willing to rely on each other anymore. At least not for huge stuff. Um, where it's, it's one, I think on some level it is kind of a point of pride. But on some level, we have we have kind of become our own gods. We, you know, I made my money, I saved enough, I worked hard enough, uh, I have enough in the bank to where I can make this happen, right? 
And that's not to say that that's a bad thing, but it's like, again, where does your trust lie? In your bank account, in your job, and all these things like that? Or do you give thanks to God for all this stuff that he gave you? That's right. right? That he gave you. Well, he provides, you know, yeah. like the gallop with the talents, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. The one that buried it in the ground, the others that invested right. it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who did God reward there? Right, exactly. Yeah, the one, the one who actually took the talents yeah, and the focus did something has with to it. Be that God's given me all of what I have now. How do I manage it? And there's also that thing, that that thing where the the servants who took the talents or who took what was given to them and they used it, they were rewarded according to how they saw the master. Yeah. The one who saw and said, "I know that you are a man who reaps where he does not sow." And who does all these things that are very terrible and frightening, and therefore I hid the talent because I knew that you would just want it back. And he says, okay, you see me that way? That's how I'm going to treat you. Right? Yeah. Shirley, you're going to say? I have uh, some ex-neighbors that are Mormons. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, they, they act and, and fill out helping anyone that needs help. I guess the most help they've given me has just been emotional mm-hmm. help that I've needed in the past, but they're always there for you. Yep. They'll do anything they for will. you. Yeah. Do anything. Yeah. And not, you know, no, I don't want anything. So yeah. I said, all right. They wanted me to pick up some lottery tickets. <laughs> Take your money. I gave it to them. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Well, yeah, and it's funny. Well, the sad, the sad thing about the Mormons is that they they believe in works righteousness, right? Uh, they believe that their their deeds will earn them more in the next in the next life. Well, we really haven't gotten into that. I've tried to steer clear. Just of so you know, that's what they believe, but, though. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't ask for better people. Oh yeah, they're very sweet. They're very they're very good people. Uh, you know, they're very outwardly good. Um, their faith is is wrong um, they believe wrongly about the Trinity and Jesus Christ and all these things like that but no you're right they are very charitable they are very good-natured kind people um, and we won't go into all that but yeah I mean they take care of their own too yeah their um, daughter has left the <laughs> what's that their daughter has left the Mormon but is she a Christian now yes. or okay good yes. thanks be to God <laughs> Thanks be to God. Has a beautiful voice. Let me tell you. Oh, that's good. Oh. So, let me let me read this a little bit to y'all from uh, Luther, uh, in his large catechism uh, on the first commandment. Um, and I'm going through this with uh, the three folks we have in the adult instruction class uh, now, and I just wanted to drive this point home. Uh, you shall have no other gods. What this means, you shall have me alone as your God. What is the meaning of this and how is it to be understood? What does it mean to have a God or what is God? The answer. A God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. So to have a God is, is, is nothing other than trusting and believing him with the heart. I have often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. If your faith and trust is right, then your God is also true. 
On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Now I say that whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. And so he goes on from there and saying, you know, mammon, right? Which is not just money, but it is uh, material wealth, right? Um, all, all, all these things, you know, um, it's, it's, it's sad to see sometimes, but in some level you give thanks to God for it when it turns out right that there are people who were once very strong, very capable, very, you know, um, competent and all these things like that. And then all of a sudden their health fails or, you know, they're not able to do all the things that they used to do. Or they lose whatever wealth they had because it was stolen from them or something like that. Or they lost it because they just didn't make a good decision in their dealings or what have you. And you see that in the end, you pray for them and you go to them and you say, look and see what's true. That was fleeting. God is forever. Right? His promises will not fail. When you are gone and from this life... He will always be there and he will bring you to him when you trust in him, right? So when you have these idols, there are other parts in the Psalms that talk about people who, who worship idols. And it says they don't have ears, so they can't hear. They don't have eyes, so they can't see. Yet those who worship them become like them. You see what I mean? That those who trust in in these things that don't have life within themselves, they become like them in that they stop hearing. They stop seeing what's true. And they stop living as God would intend them to live, right? Because their life is just a shadow at that point in time. Yeah? So woe to those who make an idol. It cannot help you, right? It cannot help you in the face of hardship and trouble. Because I think it says in verse 18 of Habakkuk 2, what profit is an idol when its, when, when its, its maker has, sh has shaped it? A, a, metal, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. And that goes back also, or that harkens to Romans chapter 1. Yeah? That all of those who knew God replaced him. They worshiped the creation instead of the creator. Right? They have their focus and their full faith and trust, and their heart is set on the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, that's, that's like what Sean told me a story. He was at he's now changing jobs again back to the catering company, if y'all want to know. But uh, at the at the job he was at at the winery that he's at until I think Saturday or so. He said, there's a lady there who's pagan. I was like, whoa, really? That's interesting. How's that going for you? And he said, he said, it's interesting because I told, what was it? He said something about how he told her about how we take communion and these things like that. And she was very interested in the ritual or the ceremony of it all. And, um, and then uh, that, that, um, how we handled the elements and stuff like that. And she said something about how if she wanted, if she was going to take care of like whatever wine or stuff that was left over, she would pour it out, but give thanks to the four winds or something like that. 
and and she said giving them thanks and praise and and he was just like i don't know what to say to her i don't i don't know how to respond to her and i said well maybe you can just say well the difference between us is that you worship the creation and i worship the creator Sorry, <laughs> you can say it more gently than that if you like. I get a little blunt with these things, and I'm amongst friends here. I know you all will take that the right way. But you see someone who's a pagan, and you say, well, see, the difference is that you're worshiping something that you created, but I worship the one who created everything. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. And I would like for you to see that too, and you, and you to believe that too, because it's so much better than just worshiping wood and stone and something that was carved or whatever, yeah. Um, questions, thoughts on this? It's a lot, isn't it? I mean, the first, the first commandment is all-encompassing. Luther even says, if you can keep that first commandment, you don't have to worry about the other nine, right? If you can, if you can really hone in on keeping God fully, fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things, the other nine are no problem whatsoever. Right? Because when you, when, when you have an idol, when you have a false god, when you look to something else for your full trust, uh, that's when it leads you into things like not remembering the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That, it leads you into, well actually to go down the line, it leads you into blaspheming God's name. It leads you into not remembering the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It leads you into dishonoring your father and your, your, your father and your, 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 ah, your mother. It leads you into murder. It leads you into adultery. It leads you into, uh, uh, no, it leads you into stealing. It leads you into, um, slandering other people. It leads you into coveting and coveting. It leads you into all these things. The idolatry of the heart leads into the rest of the problems that, that, that the other nine commandments address. Yeah. So if you can tackle that one, I'd say you're doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. No, uh, it's just our Catholic friends have all these statues and saints and uh -huh. things. Uh, <laughs> you know, and they pray to them too. Right, you know. they see them as kind of proxies on some yeah. level. Yeah, it's like and, uh, praying to the Virgin Mary, yeah. like praying to your grandmother. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, and see, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't shun art in the church, right? We're not iconoclasts, which means that we don't. We don't abolish. Uh, we don't abolish pictures of like Jesus, right? Uh, and if, and if you have an icon or a picture of the Virgin, of the Virgin uh, Mary holding the baby Jesus, we're not going to say that's blasphemous or idolatry, right? Um, and if you have if you have an icon of like St. Peter or St. Paul to remind you of the good things that God did through them, that's fine. But yeah, when you start praying for the intercession of the saints, specifically St. Peter or St. Paul, protect me or da-da-da-da-da, right? Um, that's where you get some real problems, right? But we don't, we don't abolish the icons. Because, think about it this way, 
God made an image of himself. Who was that image? Jesus. Jesus. Right? God made an image of himself that when we look at Jesus, we see God. Yeah? And us. Yeah, and us. He is, he is the bridge between us and the divine. Yeah? He is the intercessor in all ways for us. Yeah? All right, so we've talked about that enough. Uh, <laughs> last question. What does it mean that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? And the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In verse 20. What does all that mean? God is in heaven. Or is in his throne. Yeah. And he's there waiting for us. And we should keep our mouths shut <laughs> and listen to him. Yeah. Trust in him. Yeah. 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 Um, so what does that mean for nations or peoples like the Babylonians? Because we know what that means for us. Like you said, Karen, we can trust that he is the one working and doing all things. But for the Babylonians and the people who practice all kinds of sin and lawlessness, what does that mean for them? They're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Well, you know, they'll be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. No big deal. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, they're doomed to fail. Right? They're doomed to failure. Uh, God's glory in defeating Babylon and the glory of his Savior, who we know is Christ, you know, Jesus Christ, who defeated death and and. Satan will fill the world, right? His glory will be will fill the entire world, um, and in, you know what? In a in a in a way, it already has. Did yeah. that happen after Babylon was destroyed? What's that? The that the Lord's glory was shown all over the world. Um, maybe in a sense. I mean, this is certainly fulfilled. Um. um I mean, did people go back to God to worship Him in the right way? Well, yeah, did according to the turn, turn around. Well, so after so Babylon fell by the hand of the Persians, right? The uh, the Medes and the Persians, um, and Cyrus, uh, and and so uh, it was King Darius or Darius, however you want to say that. King King Darius, and then. Um, his son, Cyrus the Great, right? Who in Isaiah, according to Isaiah, was called a Messiah, right? Cyrus was the savior of the people of Israel because under Cyrus, what happened? You remember? Nehemiah was sent back with Ezra to Jerusalem to build the wall. And all the people, the remnant that were kept in Babylon, went back to Jerusalem and established the tabernacle again, okay. and kept the sacrifices again, okay. and started things all over again. Yeah. Okay. So in some sense, yeah, God's glory was proclaimed in that he kept his people, and they went back to Jerusalem at some point in time, after, after you know, a generation, after several generations, and then, and then they established worship again, and it's kind of interesting 
Think about it this way. So, uh, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the waters as, as the waters cover the sea. What happened when you have all of God's people focused in this one little place, and then all of a sudden, they are forcefully dispersed throughout the entire known world. What are they going to do? Carry the knowledge of God with That's them. That's right. They carry the knowledge of God with them so that when you see what happens in Matthew with the Magi, where did they come from? Asia. They come from the east. They probably come from Babylon. Uh, they're not kings, as the song says, right? But they are magi, and if you look for that word again, you see it in the book of Daniel. The magi were the ones who were plotting against Daniel to have him killed because he wouldn't do what they wanted him to do according to their faith, right? And But you can see there's some tradition that says that Daniel, of course, shared the faith with them, and so when they heard from Daniel, and they probably had the Talmud, they probably had all this stuff, you know, knowing about the faith, so that when they saw the star rise, which they saw, I think it's from one of the prophets, was it Micah? I can't remember which prophet it was, but that, that the star will rise, you know, the, and, and, and they followed it. Because they knew from what had been told to them by Daniel or whoever else was in the exile, they knew that that's where the Savior was to be born. That even, that even the pagans would be told about these things so that they may come to faith, yeah? So when you see that, verse 14 in Habakkuk 2, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In a sense, that was so that God's people would be spread out through all the known world, that all those who didn't come back to Jerusalem would stay where they were, and then what do you have? You have everybody coming back to Jerusalem for a high feast of Passover, during the time when a certain person is crucified, and then 50 days after that, you get the day of Pentecost. All these people who come from all these different lands who learned who don't know the Hebrew tongue or the or um, the Aramaic tongue, as it were, more, more commonly spoken. They didn't know these things, and yet the Holy Spirit made it so that all of them who heard in all their different tongues understood the gospel, understood the proclamation of God. I mean, it's all fulfilled in Christ and in Pentecost and the Ascension and all these things, but you see that it begins here. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's not just fulfilled in one place. It's fulfilled ongoing into the post-Pentecost church. Yeah? Very awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, that um, because of this, because of what the people in Israel, in, in the lower kingdom of Judah, saw as a horrible thing, God turned into what would be the fullness of time where the Savior would come. And you have the church all over the known world, which eventually... You know, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. The Persians were conquered by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great's, you know, uh, the empire was broken up into all these different principalities that were eventually all overcome by Rome. 
And then within the Roman world, in the Roman known world, you have all these people that wind up becoming Christian because of all the things God has done behind the scenes to make it all happen. It's just amazing. It's just amazing what God did in, 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 in all these things that we would say, oh, that's nothing but history of blood and conquest. No, he knew what he was doing by doing exactly what he did. Yeah. Any questions on that? Any thoughts? Yeah, you're making me feel much better. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, because I came in here kind of depressed. And now, you know, I think I'm going to go out kind of happy. So. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, no one, you know, no one knows exactly the end, except we do know that in the end, Christ will come back and all of this will just be wiped away. And we will, you know, it's like, we as Lutherans are amillennialists. I'm not going to get into the whole thing of pre-millennial, post-millennial, whatever. We are amillennialists, which means that the the thousand-year reign that it talks about in in um, Revelation, it means that that's ongoing. We are in that time right now. Christ is reigning at the right hand of God, right? We believe that so that we live Christian lives, but knowing that tomorrow sometime today Christ could come back and he'll just do away with all of it you know and all of our worries and concerns that we had when we woke up this morning or you know last week or whatever all that stuff will be nothing because Christ will come back and just take care of everything yeah that also shouldn't make us complacent and say well what do I got to do that for Christ can come back any day but say you know we're gonna keep doing the things God wants us to do because we are his people we are his children and uh, it's one of those things that will be honored when we when when Christ comes back, he doesn't have to say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> but we're doing exactly what you told us to, Lord. Yeah, all right, come with me. We're going to eternity. Yeah, it's going to be great. Okay? Oh, I went pretty long today, but that's okay. <laughs> Who would have thought you could get so much out of Habakkuk chapter 2? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. That's going to happen next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's even better next week, yeah. Yeah, chapter three is great too. So we shouldn't sweat the small stuff. Absolutely. And yeah. everything is small stuff. <laughs> yeah, everything. I mean, once you're baptized, yeah. you're good, right? Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. You go, well, so be still. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so be, be still. still. Yes, trust the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just be silent. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And wait. Yeah, he's still in wait. Yeah. Oh, I'll remind you of that. Yeah. He's still, Paul. Yeah, he's still. Yeah. He comes in there. He comes through there. Oh, oh I'm so mad. Oh. I can't see Paul doing that. Um, but I'm sure he does something at home. He didn't do it at church, yeah. Uh, Football games. <laughs> <laughs> well, even then. this <laughs> morning, Even then, yeah, yeah. Well, anybody have any questions, uh, thoughts, concerns about any of this we've talked about? No. All clear as mud, huh? We have a million questions still. <laughs> sure. I mean, who doesn't? And we'll have them for the rest of our lives. That's that's one of the things I told the folks in the adult instruction class. I said, you know, this is just a cursory 
course. We're, we're going over the basics. You're going to be learning this stuff for the rest of your lives. You're going to be growing deeper and deeper in your understanding of all this stuff for as long as you live, you know. That's why y'all come to Bible study, right? That's why you come to church. Yeah. All right. Well, I've gone on long enough. Um, if y'all have any questions or anything like that, you can talk after church. Oh, you okay, Tim? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, bandage. Okay. Um, how about let's go ahead and close with the Lord's prayer. So, taught by our Lord and trusting His His promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.